0: Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. Last week I did a uh, message on um, growth, as that's been our theme for the year, and I just hit on, talked about what it means to grow, and one of the aspects we talked about is growing through trials, and I had a lot of people come and talk about how that really um, hit home with them, and so... I decided to continue to develop that a little bit more this week and next week. We've all been through trials, we've all had suffering. Um, we've all had bad days. Any of you had a bad day today? Or has it all been pretty good good and we've we've had bad days i I heard read a story a number of years ago that I shared with teens, and um, maybe I shouldn't share it with you, but I'm gonna. Um, and uh, it's, it's a story about a guy who was working at his house on his motorcycle, and uh, their house was up on a hill, and behind their house was a patio, and so he was working on his motorcycle on the patio, and he, he, was, he had it up on a stand, so he was, he was revving the engine, trying to work on something, and for some reason the stand uh, broke or fell away, and the bike hit the patio and took off. Now he's on the side, so he grabs onto the bike thinking, I don't know what he was thinking, but he grabbed onto the bike and it took him through his uh, patio window door there into the middle of his living room. His wife comes into the room and he's, obviously he's bleeding, he's probably more embarrassed than hurt, but uh, she calls the the uh, 911 and, and the ambulance comes out and she says, I'll go down and, and, and wait for them. She had to go down the bottom of the hill. It was a, a walk up and so she met them. She came up and, and uh, they got him uh, together and said, okay, we're going to take you to the hospital. So they uh, got him in the ambulance and were taking and she decided she wanted to clean up quickly before she went to the hospital to pick him up. And so she uh, went, got, managed to get the bike back outside and there was some gas on the on the ground, so she went and took some paper towel and cleaned up the gas and I don't know what she was thinking, but she took the paper towel and threw it into the toilet and left so that she came back later with her husband and they uh he looked around, he surveyed the damage, his bike was a little damaged, his door was shattered, and uh, he was bruised and cuts all over his body and he just he felt miserable so he went into the bathroom to take care of what he needs to take care of in the bathroom and to calm his nerves he um, pulled out a cigarette and he uh, began to smoke the cigarette and he finished doing what he was doing and he took the cigarette and he threw it into the toilet. Pretty soon his wife heard a big scream and an explosion And uh, she comes in to find her husband's pants literally blown off and burns all over his body. So they again call the paramedics, 911, and the paramedics come, and it's the same exact group of paramedics. And they come in, and uh, again, I said that it's down, the, the, where the ambulance came was down at the bottom of the hill, so they came up the hill, they got him on the, on the stretcher, and they're walking him down this, this hill, and as they're going, one of the paramedics said to the wife, how did this happen? And she told the story, and he started laughing so hard that he slipped and fell, and dropped the guy off of the stretcher, and he fell and broke his arm. And his nose. Now, I I think that's a pretty bad day. <laughs> I don't think any of you had that, but all of you have faced trials. And sometimes I think when we face trials, we just kind of we kind of think, okay, if I could just get done with this, then I'll be better off. Um, I want to share with you about a, a moth. This is a moth that actually is um, you can find around here. I've never seen one, but I did some study on. It. You can. Uh, It's a Cecropia moth, Um, and uh, what's interesting about this moth is it obviously starts as a caterpillar, and this is the cocoon it's in, and and, uh, in order for it to produce the butterfly that it is, it has to struggle to get out of this cocoon. And it's said that at times people will, will see this, this butterfly and just struggling and pushing. It. it just seems like it's having a hard time and someone will come along and they'll, just, they'll break away the outside of the cocoon hoping that maybe it'll help the butterfly get out quicker. And what actually happens is, is the butterfly, because of that, never gets its wings to be strong enough and it comes out and within moments dies. Because it needs to go through the stress and the trial in order to really be strong enough to handle what life brings its way. And I think sometimes that's the way that our lives are. We struggle with knowing how to handle trials. And God places them in our lives for a reason. I want to look at tonight just a few things about trials. And the first thing I want you to notice is is that we need to face the suffering honestly. We need to face our suffering honestly. And sometimes we don't want to do that. And we'll look at Psalm uh, 6 here in a moment. And someone has said that um, we need to have a spiritual conversation with ourselves when it comes to trial. So how do we face suffering honestly? The first thing is allow for personal soul discussions. And say, what do you mean by that? It's what someone would call spiritual candor. It is courageously telling myself the truth about life, admitting what is happening to me and what I feel is going on inside. Sometimes we think we're going through a trial and we think, I, I really can't um, dwell on this and so I don't want to even talk about it. And I don't think that's really actually healthy. I think God uh, understands when we debate with ourselves about trials. You say, what do you mean? Look at Psalm uh, 6. We see in, in Psalm 6, starting in verse 3, notice what David said. He says, my, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? You ever felt that way? Lord, how long is this going to go on? And he goes on, he says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of my steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. I mean, I'm sure that you uh many of you would say the same thing. There's been times in your life where you just say, Why? And what it is is here is David just searching God. Take your Bibles and look at Psalm 13. Psalm 13, we see something similar there where David is having a spiritual conversation with God about these trials. And, and it, sometimes it seems like, man, is David attacking God? No, he's, he's talking through what's going on in his life. Psalm 13, look at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the days? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You David is sitting there saying, God, where are you? Why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel like uh, I'm, I have no help on this? You know, it's okay to have some of those soul discussions. And maybe you're going through a trial right now. It's okay to be discussing that. It's not okay to, to turn your back on God. We see that with, with Job. It's amazing when you see Job and what Job went through, the trials Job went through, and he had a lot of discussions like this. I mean, how many times did Job say things to the effect of, you know, why is this happening? But yet, what does it say in Scripture? In all this, Job sinned not. There wasn't a sense that asking God why was the problem. The sense of, of it was it, as long as he didn't reject God. So ask, uh, allow for personal soul discussion. Secondly, Pray for the Lord about your suffering. Go to the Lord and say, why? And then help me. Look at uh, Psalm 13, if you will, again. In verse 3, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. So he just asked all these questions, verses 1 and 2. He says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? And then in verse 3, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's, he's praying and saying, God, help me to know how to handle this trial. Um, take your Bibles again and look at, uh, well, I have it on the screen there, so you don't need to turn there, but you can if you want. In Psalm 73, uh, this is a common psalm when you talk about suffering. And notice what it says there, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And notice what it says next, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. This is the, the passage where the psalmist, ASAP, is having debate with God and he's saying, God, why is it that the, that the wicked people prosper and I am trying to pursue you and, and it's just not, doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. You know, why, why is that? And he's having these discussions and he comes to a point where he says, you know, as I'm, as I'm contemplating this, I'm having these discussions within myself. He says, suddenly I realize when I come into the presence of God. I love what it says there. When I come into the sanctuary of God, then I realize <laughs> that uh, their way ends in destruction. But those that follow God ends in blessing. And he, and he sees that there. And he understands that. We need to uh, ask uh, pray to the Lord about our suffering. The third thing we need to do to have uh, uh, to face suffering honestly is receive God's grace and comfort in the midst of difficulties. Receive God's grace. Notice what it says in Second Corinthians three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all more gladly in my weakness. He said, I will, I will boast because of what God has done. How does God meet us in trouble? Now, sometimes it's, uh, we expect God to immediately intervene and make everything better. Yet, that's not always how it works. Yet, He does continually, according to His grace, work in us and through us despite our trial. Maybe that's the hard part, is, is saying, okay, God, I don't know why you're doing this trial. And it might be a long time coming where you still don't know why. But ask God, say, God, I want to see your grace through this, and I believe he does. And that leads us to the last part of how do we face suffering honestly. Trust in God's character. And we'll talk more about this later, but look back, if you will, at Psalm 13 again. At Psalm 13, trust in God's character in the midst of suffering. Psalm 13, it says, he continues on in verse 5. Notice what he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. We do not see here that God removed His trial. What we see is that He is trusting in God's steadfast love during the trial and and that is when we face suffering you have to say be willing to have a conversation with God about it pray about it ask God for grace but understand he might not necessarily remove that trial right now and so I'm going to say I'm going to trust God in the midst of it and David said I've trusted in your steadfast love and are we trusting in that now look if you're in Psalm look at Psalm 63 Psalm 63. And again, David again, and here he is. He's in uh, the wilderness. He's in a very dark place in his life. And it says in verse 1, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And this is, again, a very Has this conversation with God again, and he realized he said, I'm going to trust in you despite the suffering. So we need to face suffering honestly. But the second thing we need to do is develop a biblical worldview of trials. I've talked about biblical worldviews before, but what is a biblical worldview? Anyone want to give input here? What is a worldview? Okay, yeah, the framework you use to interpret what is going on around you. Every single person in here has a slightly different worldview. And I would say, because you're here tonight, we all have probably very similar worldviews, but they're all a little different. I always view it as it's the, you know, the glasses you put on. Um, if you've ever been with someone before, and you're looking at something, and you're both wearing sunglasses, this has happened to me before, and you, you comment about something being blue, and they're, No, it's red. And you realize it's because one of you has blue-shaded sunglasses and the other one has red. It's the framework on you, which you look at things. A worldview is how we look at the world. It's influenced by everything that's gone on in your life. It's influenced by the way you were brought up. It's influenced by your religion, your, your family. It's influenced by so many different things. Well, we need to develop a biblical worldview of trials. We need to develop a worldview of trials so that when we look at a trial, we're looking through the lenses of Scripture and not through our pain and suffering. Take your Bible and look at uh, Romans chapter 3, first of all. Romans chapter 3. So what is a biblical worldview that we need to develop when it comes to the area of Trials. There's a few things we're going to look at. First, one is we need to realize the significance of Adam's fall and the promise of suffering. We need to realize the significance of Adam's fall. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says there, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Because of Adam and Eve and and their uh, rejection of God's plan, the Bible tells us that sin passed upon all men. So all of us are sinners. And because of that fall, we all face the same consequences. We begin to understand that. You know, there are people who uh, don't have a biblical worldview and look and they say, well, why are there trials in the world? For a Christian, there's a very simple answer for that. Sin. Sin. I mean, you can be more profound and try to dig through and find other reasons, but ultimately that's what it comes down to. Is we need to understand with trials that the the reason the trials come is because of Adam's fall, because of sin. But we also need to accept the understanding of the promise that Scripture gives us of suffering. And Jesus says, Remember the word that I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. That we will face as Christians, but not just as Christians, we will face as humans. Job says, a man born of a few days is full of troubles. You know, all of us are going to face troubles. That's part of the fall. But and we need to have that. But the second part of the biblical worldview is we need to have a we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. Notice a couple of verses here and give you. In Psalm one fifteen three 3, it says, O, o God. Uh, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. You know, God uh, guides and dictates. Do you really believe in the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God says that God is in, in control of everything. Um, a few weeks ago, someone asked me the question. Then they said, If, if God's in control of everything, what about these you know, major horrific acts that have happened? Was God in control in 9 11? If we believe in the sovereignty of God, He was. Do we know how to explain that? No. But if we believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is over all and and above all, then we have to believe in the sovereignty of God in every aspect. He gives us a free will, yet He still uh, does as He pleases, Scripture tells us. Look at what it says in Proverbs, the, man, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. You know, God, you know, we go through life and we plan, but yet God is the one that guides and directs, I believe. Um, and I've seen that happen many times in my life where God's sovereignty became very real. And when we face trials, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. We have to. Um, and, and allow that to be a guiding factor in what we do. Not only that, we need to remember God's ability to repay evil. This is kind of an extension of what we talked about this morning. But take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. It's not our responsibility to repay evil. Because maybe your trial is someone else is doing you know the, a person who's hurting you and maybe they're just blatant about it and they know it maybe they're not either way we have to trust in god notice what it says in matthew chapter 11 talking specifically about some some locations in the bible and he says uh, he's talking about unrepentant cities And Jesus says, woe, in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 11, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. What is what is the point of this passage? Is that you know sometimes we think, oh man, God, where is God in all this? Why isn't God repaying the evil? And He's saying to these, He's casting judgment on these cities and saying, you know, it's it's coming. We have to remember that God has the ability to repay evil, and God will repay evil. God will take care of those things. You know why we say, "Well, you know, we need to make sure that uh, God takes all the care of all the bad things happening in my life." You know why doesn't God take care of that? God's in control, and He will. The fourth thing is we need to find joy and satisfaction in God's love and care and suffering. In order to have a biblical worldview, we need to find satisfaction in what God does to show His love and care in the midst of suffering. Uh, Take your Bibles and look at Romans chapter 8 again. Romans chapter 8. In order to have a biblical worldview, we need to... Uh, find joy and satisfaction in God's love and care. Romans chapter 8, um, love this passage. He says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not also with him graciously give us all things? Who, who shall bring any, any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies he is to uh, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed in is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, or so tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are kill, being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord when you're in the midst of trial do you have a biblical worldview that says you know what God loves you God loves you so how can God love me uh, I'm, my family members fighting cancer. God loves you. And how do we see evidence of God's love? I want to look at uh, five ways where God shows his love and care for us. First of all, you uh, have an intercessor in the person of Christ. You have an intercessor. It says in 1 John, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father and that is Jesus Christ the righteous. You have an intercessor. God loves us, and because of that, He didn't leave us uh, all alone. He didn't leave us high and dry, so to speak. He left us with the Holy Spirit, but He left us with the idea that we can go to God through Jesus Christ anytime we want. And that is an amazing thought. You know, in times of trials, when we often feel alone, and we're not, we have an intercessor. The second a way that God shows His love to us is His continually working out His good and perfect will in our life. Notice what it says in Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's working in you. God is using, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but God is using that trial. And, and so it's not something where we can sit back and go, well, God doesn't really care about me. No, He actually is. Just like that butterfly at the very beginning. And uh, God, God created it in such a way that that butterfly has to fight, has to push against uh, the trial in its life in order to be strong enough to do what it needs to do in life. And we, sometimes God works in ways that we don't understand and instead of saying, oh, how I, I, you know, I just, God, this is horrible, say, okay, God, help me here. Help me to, to rely on your strength through this. And, and that's what I believe he does. The third thing is we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You see the passage there? We know that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives as a Christian. He works and guides. He guides us in Scripture. He shows us. Fourthly, the local church is God's instrument for one another ministry. Isn't that a great thing? You know, um, we need to be so in tune with our church that we see each other's faults. Um, do you see the people around you's faults and hurts? In this past week, I've had three individuals, three separate family units come to me and say to me that they've been hurting and having trials in life. And they said, and we feel that no one in the church has come alongside of us. And I felt bad that they said that. We need to be a church that's uplifting each other. You know, and the, the local church is that instrument. What does it say in Hebrews? It says, and let us consider how to stir one, one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. He, he says, you, know, you can think of people that are that way. They have a habit of not being faithful to church. And he's saying, why should we not have that type of habit? Because we can encourage one another, build each other up. And we are to do that, but when you go through a trial, you need to understand God loves you, and that's why he gave this church to you. That's why he gave this church to us. Um, And I love being a part of this church. I love that when uh, there's things going on in my life, I know there are people praying for me. And it's not just because I'm the pastor. I know that's, uh, many of you, that's your hearts. And we need to be that for people around us and understand God has given us this church for a reason. But also we need to realize that our struggles are not too much for us to bear. They're difficult. And uh, some of you uh, have gone through far harder trials than I think I can ever handle. But God gives us what we can handle. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted above your ability. But with the temptation, will he also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God has given you a trial, and he, but he has also said, "It's this is something you can bear. And this is something you can handle." And we read David, and I, I love reading David because, man, David constantly was having conversations with God, and yet David uh, gained victory. He sinned, he fell, he did things he shouldn't, he, he disobeyed God, he was not a perfect person by any means, and yet God said he was a man after my own heart. And, and that is uh, unbelievable testimony. So also, to have a biblical worldview, finally, we need to uh, give, uh, allow God to understand that God gives grace in the midst of hardships. Uh, we looked at a verse a few moments ago, but you can see it there again. And the last thing we're going to go through in just the next few minutes then, beginning to embrace God's purpose for your suffering. What is God's purpose for your suffering and how do we embrace it? Uh, First of all, focus on God's glory and his preeminence. Um, I ran out of time, so I didn't get all these verses on the screen, so I'll give you some and you can turn to them uh, or you can just look at them later. But if you would like to, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter one. As you embrace God's uh, a biblical worldview, and as you embrace the the suffering God has allowed you to have, focus on God's glory and not your own. Focus on His preeminence. What's preeminence? Anyone? Okay, His glory. What does it mean, preeminence? First, okay, it's the idea of giving. First priority or first place. Notice what it says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, it's talking about Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent as we go through trials embrace that thought you know god my desire is for your glory and my desire is for you to be the first priority in my life that's important second thing <coughs> embracing god's purpose for suffering is see the suffering as an opportunity for personal growth uh, look, if you will, back at Romans chapter 8. We've been there a couple times, but look at Romans chapter 8. And verse 28. Familiar verse, we like to hold to this one. This is a one we always love to turn to. Romans eight, twenty eight. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We, we love to hold that all things work together for good, but what is the good? You know, sometimes we think the good is like, okay, the trial's gone. (laughs) I'm good. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the good is to make us stronger, to make us better. Um just take a moment. I'm not going to delay this, but is there anyone here that would share a testimony where God allowed suffering to happen in your life, and it it, it became for your good? Anyone? Everything? Okay. Yes. Yes. Good. Anyone else? I think if we all contemplate it, we can see that in times in our life. Um, And I am amazed how God has done aspects of my life where it was horrible in my eyes, and yet God used it for my personal growth. And and made it... (laughs) My wife and I still kind of uh, joke about this. When I first got... Uh, arthritis a number of years ago I was I think I was 24 25 and I started coming down with it and and it really created a lot of problems and there was days where I had a hard time walking and moving and and uh, and I was 24 25 and um, but what I found amazing was I could go to church and the the ladies in our church that were in their 80s and 90s would come up to me and we would share stories about my medicine (laughs) and uh, they would be like oh you're on that too does it make you bloated? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> but it's uh, like, thank you. Okay. But um, God used that to allow me, and, and I've said this to people before, God used that to allow me to change my perspective on life. And it's something I still daily struggle with, but not the way I did at first. And, but God used it. I was always a type of person that I didn't, I didn't really get when people were in pain. You now I grew up, uh, I was an athlete, I was very uh, physically involved, I was, uh, I, I didn't have problems, and so someone would come along, and uh, I, I used to coach soccer, and I'd play, have a player come up and go, and my ankle hurts, and I'd be like, keep running, and it'll feel better eventually, you know, and that's, that was kind of my approach, and, and God used that as a small thing to, to um, cause me to grow, and I think God does that, and oftentimes we, we don't catch it. Because we want to get out of it. And God uses that. And Paul said that. He said, I, tried, I asked God to take this away and he didn't. But he gave me grace and allowed me to be strengthened. The, the third aspect of embracing God's purpose for our lives. Um, Alex, if you'll switch to the next one there. Thank you. Rejoice that heaven is our ultimate home. Rejoice that heaven is our ultimate home. Take your Bibles and look at Philippians Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, he says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Romans eight eighteen says this: For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we see in those passages the idea is we can't we what we're going through is can can be very unbearable at times. But what he's saying is is it's nothing in comparison to the glory that we'll experience in heaven. Having that long term view, having that long term uh, pain. Uh, understanding that the pain brings something greater. And that's that's important to, to understand. The next one. Use personal suffering to encourage spiritual growth in others. Again, look at Philippians, if you're still there. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. And notice what it says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the uh, whole imperial guard and to all all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having uh, become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is saying this. He's saying, I want you to all know I'm okay with my imprisonment. I'm okay with all the sufferings I've gone through because it's made it's it's given us greater opportunities to share the gospel. It's helped others. Again, I want, want you to think, is, can anyone give me an illustration of a time, and you don't have to give specific details maybe, but a time where God allowed you to go through suffering and because of that, it enabled you to encourage others to grow. Sometimes we go through hard trials and it's exactly what someone else needed. Um, just this week, we and I won't give too much details because it impacts some of you in here, but there was an individual that some people in our church were ministering to, and it was amazing to see how God sent the exact individuals this person needed. It wasn't anything we planned. It just happened. And it was exactly what that individual needed, and God sent them the, the right people to, in their path to say, this is, you know, God's going to work through this and, and to advise them in a the right way. And God uses our suffering for a good thing and i've i've said that many times to young people and say you know you're going through this maybe the reason that you're going through this is because someday you're going to minister to people who are going through this and it'll allow you to be able to uh, be an encouragement to them and that's important a few more here next next we need to repent of personal sin Maybe through this trial that's coming, God points out to you errors or or faults in your life. Take your Bible and look at Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And we're just about done here, but look at a few more passages. Luke chapter 13. Here He's talking about some some instances that were taking place. And Jesus says in verse 2, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You can go on and read. He gives a similar illustration, but he says uh, the idea of that is is that uh, uh, maybe for them, maybe for you, it's a pointing to Christ, um, and it's a repenting of personal sin in our lives. The next one is view suffering as... uh, typo there, as an opportunity to trust God when it's hard. View it as an opportunity to trust God when it's hard. Final passage I wanted you to look at. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. View suffering as an opportunity to trust God when it's hard. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than the gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying there, so that you suffer as an opportunity to, to trust God through difficult times, as you're going through that difficult time to trust in God. And sometimes those trials cause us to be uh, grounded even deeper in the Word. And, uh, and, and that is, is a great thing. Um, heard a, we started with a story about nature. I heard an um, individual, a preacher gave an illustration once, and he said that he was visiting an uh, orange grove. And uh, the um, irrigation pump that would send water throughout the, the orange fields, the orange grove, um, Had broken and so they weren't able to water the uh, orange trees and they were they were dying and the individual giving him a tourist said okay i want you to now come with me to another location and he went to another orchard and he and he went into and he said this is my place and and he said it was interesting because he said i don't water my mine as often as that one and I only water once in a while, but they're strong. And he said, well, what's, what's the difference? He said, uh, that's the point is I let them go longer periods of time without water. And what it made the, the trees do is they had to dig their roots deeper into the ground to find water, which ultimately made them stronger. You know, sometimes God's suffering comes and it's an opportunity for us to trust in God. And because of that, it drives us deeper into the foundation of what God has for us. And then it leads to the last thing, which is it allows us to demonstrate faithfulness to God when we're tempted to rebel. It allows us to demonstrate our faithfulness to God when we're tempted to rebel. You know, what trial are are you going through? I I know maybe in some, but I don't know all. Maybe there's some hidden trial. Ask yourself, are you embracing God's purpose in this? If you are, I think God can use it in great ways in your life, not just for you, but for those around you. Let's close in prayer.